Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Yes, last week we did the uh, Kingdom of God in the Older Testament, and this morning we'll do the Kingdom of God in the Newer Testament, but before we do so, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your presence here with us. We ask you to speak in a powerful way that not only challenges us, but changes us. And we ask you to come and to move in in a great way. Your kingdom come today. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. On January 3rd, 1987, Ross Buford was 24 years of age. He and a buddy of his decided to do some reverse um, illegal immigration into Mexico from Texas. And so they decided to swim across the Rio Grande into Mexico. The problem is his, uh, his buddy made it, waiting for his friend Ross to come behind him, but he didn't see Ross. Eventually, they contacted Bob Buford, the dad, and he uh, was a very wealthy businessman in Texas who hired helicopters and search crews and boats and dogs, and they searched to no avail. And at 3 o'clock on January 3rd in the afternoon, he realized, my son's not coming home. Ten days later, they found Ross. Shortly thereafter, he was placed in a box. Bob Buford writes about that incident, and he talks about he was walking beside the, the river, and he had this thought, here's something you can't think your way out of, buy your way out of, or work your way out of. This is something you can only trust your way out of. Not too long after that, he was meeting with a consultant in New York City that had been working with him for years. The consultant was not a believer, not a follower of Christ, but his consultant was listening to him, and he said, Bob, trying to figure out how you're going to spend the rest of your life, let me do this. And he drew a box, and he said, knowing your life and knowing your story, there are two things that seem to be of extreme importance to you. And then he wrote beside the box, he drew a symbol of a dollar, dollar sign. And he, then he drew beside that a cross. And he said, these two things are the two priorities in your life, money and Christ. You've got to decide which one goes in the box. And if you determine which one goes in the box, I can help you spend the rest of your life focused on it. And for a long, hard minute, Bob looked at the box and finally made a decision. He put the cross in the box. He said, are you sure? He said, if you, if you want, if money wants, you want money to be in the box, he said, I can help you buy your own island. We can build a golf course. You can spend the rest of your life golfing. Um, he said, nope, Jesus Christ is in the center of the box. He wrote this book called Halftime, which is using the sports analogy of um, either a basketball game or a football game that nothing is less true. Nothing is less true than the score at halftime. 
How you spend the second half is what matters most. And Bob Buford has spent the second half of his life focused on moving from success to significance and impacting many lives along the way. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. One translation puts it this way. It says, uh, make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Make the kingdom of God your primary concern. In other words, when you think of your life, if you were to draw a box, in fact, why don't you do that? Just on your outline somewhere, draw a box. What are you going to put in the center? What's it going to be for you? What's in the center of your life? Jesus said, seek the kingdom and his righteousness. Everything else will fall into place. You know, uh, last week we talked about the Older Testament. And as we went through that, I broke it into eight different phases of development. There are 39 books written over thousands of years. And in those 39 books, there's tremendous unity of its message, uh, which is a message of God's rule and God's reign and God's invitation for all people at all times to join him in his rule and reign. And in those eight phases, let's review. First phase was made. We were all made by God, made in his image. The second phase we looked at was decayed because of our disobedience, because of our turning away from God's, God's rule and reign. Decay entered the world. The third phase is sent. God sent Abram. God sent Moses. And uh, they were sent into the world, and they were sent with a message of God's rule and reign. Israel went into the promised land, and we know that Joshua and Caleb were two of the original spies who went in, and I was able to find this picture of them. And the, uh, t- together, as long as Israel stayed focused on Yahweh, which was the Hebrew name for God, as long as they stayed focused on God, they were together, they were united, and, uh, which is our fifth phase. The, the sixth phase is when they turned their eyes away from God, life began to fall apart. And Israel was scattered and divided. And then we saw in the Older Testament as we looked through that they were led captive into Babylon and they spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon. And then the final phase that we looked at last week was freedom. They were free in Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, rebuilt the temple for the Jews. So we see the definition of the kingdom that we're using is called the rule and reign of God the rule and reign of God. From the end of the book of Malachi to the beginning, first book we have in our New Testament or Newer Testament is the book of Matthew. Between that time period of Malachi and Matthew, there are 400 years. Some scholars call it 400 years of silence because God's voice is not heard during those 400 years. It's just nothing seems to be happening. Nothing seems to be happening. Well, sort of. Let me list three things that were happening during that time period. Alexander the Great, which had been prophesied by, uh, in the book of Daniel, a vision had been given to Nebuchadnezzar, and the vision was of a statue, but of the statue, there were were these different parts of the statue, head made of gold, and, and so forth. And he was shown the future of four kingdoms, Babylon being the first. The second kingdom was to be the Medo Persian Empire, and we see that that takes place. 
And then we were told that there will be a Greek ruler, a Greek empire, and finally a Roman empire that will come. And God showed this hundreds of years before to Nebuchadnezzar, and he records it. It's recorded in the book of Daniel. Now, during that time period, when Alexander the Great conquered the known world from Africa all the way to India, the Greek language was established as the the common language of the people of all that region, the Greek language. The Roman, then when the Romans come in, they, they started Pax Romana, or Roman peace, where there was peace throughout the Roman Empire. And there have been all these prior to that, all these feudal wars. So if you traveled, there would always be tribal warfare in the different regions. But because of Rome's Roman Empire, there was peace throughout the whole known world. And then there was the Roman roads, which were established, paved throughout the Roman Empire. These things were used by God where Paul comes along and the New Testament writers come along and they wrote the book of the, New, the books of the New Testament, the 27 books that we have that we call the New Testament. Those books are written in Koine Greek, the language of the common people. The Roman roads were used by Paul and others to carry the gospel and because of the Roman peace they were able to do so and Paul was able to do so as a Roman citizen. It reminds me of the Apollo spacecraft, which recently one of the re-entry capsules was found in a a sea exploration. But it reminds me of that where as they re-entered Earth's atmosphere, those of you old enough to remember the Apollo system, uh, as it re-entered Earth's atmosphere, there was a time of silence, about five minutes if I remember correctly, of silence between the the time where they had last contact with NASA to the time they re-entered Earth's atmosphere. But was NASA absent during the silence? Absolutely not. They were busily awaiting the voice of of the, the astronauts. And the 400 years of silence, God was active, as we see in the Greek language, as we see in the Roman infrastructure that paved the way for the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The ninth phase in our outline of the Bible is this, the coming of Christ. So on your outline, I encourage you to write down for the ninth phase, the coming, coming of Christ. The Magi from Iran, uh, as they came, the wise men, as they came to, to see this king, The first title given to Jesus after his birth was king. And it was given by Gentiles from Iran who came and they came to worship. They were probably stargazers who were uh, Zoroastrians. And they came and they acknowledged Jesus as the king that they came to worship. And they bowed before him and they offered gold and frankincense and myrrh. Or as Corey, when she was about our oldest daughter, when she was just two or three years of age, she said gold, Frankenstein, and myrrh. And, and so they, they offer this, and which probably became the funding for baby Jesus to be taken to um, Egypt. It enabled that poor family to provide uh, their travel expenses. Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 4. And in Matthew, the fourth chapter... We, we are told of Jesus goes through this temptation in the wilderness. He comes out of the temptation. John the Baptist has been arrested. And it says in verse 12 of Matthew 4, Now when he heard, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, 
he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, 700 years earlier, by the way, might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. This was a Gentile region where Jesus went, uh, meaning that it was not a Jewish area. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach. This is his first sermon, his first message, which was the last message of John the Baptist, and it was this, repent, which means to turn your life around, put something else in the box. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All of the phases that we covered last week, the eight phases last week, were pointing forward to the coming of a king, the coming of a new kingdom. But here, when Jesus arrives on the scene, when the king is present, his message, message isn't there's a kingdom coming, it's the kingdom is here. And we see this in, in Jesus' declaration of the king. He comes and he heals the sick. He casts out demons. He causes miracles. He announces the kingdom has arrived. Amina Brown puts it well. Let's watch this. He is here in this room, in your heart. He is near, nearer than breath, heartbeat, nearer than you are to you, nearer than second chance or next opportunity, closer than tonight or yesterday. He is real, realer than touch, see, hear, smell, or taste, realer than reality. He is our reality, realer than joy, pain, sorrow, realer than the love of being in love. He is presence like time, space, wind, silence, night. He is waiting like creation, like words on the tip of tongue, like songs that have yet to be sung. He is beauty, oranges, blues, every hue, every shade, sunset and sunrise, whisper his name. He is holy, different, made human, became human, forgave human. He is spirit. He cannot be touched, explains like sweet seconds of prayers, like grandmother on knees, wood floor bare. He is son, distinctly three, distinctly one, the only one one, the only wise, the only resurrector of lives. He is king. No earthly throne can house. No amount of elegant words can espouse. He is moments and voice, power of choice in word and deed, in fruit and seed, pierced side, nailed hands, nailed feet, innocent wounds that bleed. He is belief and trust. He is enough. He is all. He is call and purpose. Everything that we can sacrifice, he's worth it and more, much more. Our good deeds are mere pennies. We'll never even the score. He is behold and wow. He is who, what, when, why, how. He puts on the show. He's the one we come to see. He is soul's cry and sinner's plea. He is the epitome. He's the one no one can light a candle to or come within a million foot pole of. He is above. He is a father's love. He is maker of ways of earth and wind. Ancient of days has no fear. Have no fear. God is here. coming of Christ. He changed everything. It changed art. It changed music. 
His coming changed medicine. His change, his come cha- his coming changed the world. The coming of Christ is our ninth phase. The tenth phase is the going of the church. The going of the church. There are about seventeen thousand different ethnicities in the world, different languages and cultures within the world. Of those 17,000, there, there still remains about 5,000 that have not yet heard the gospel in their own language, that have not yet heard the good news of Jesus Christ. According to the book of Matthew, Jesus said this. He said that this gospel of the kingdom must first be preached to all the nations and then the end will come. So there's still ethnic groups, nations that need to be reached. I've had the privilege of working in India and doing some work among a tribal group called the Beal people, B-H-I-L. And they were listed in that 5,000. They were in the top 200 unreached people groups uh, a dozen years ago. Last year, they were removed from the unreached people group. They're reached people now with the gospel. It's exciting. It's great to see God working in our day. And, and he is at work. Well, when we take a snapshot of the book of Acts, and if you picture it as a box, what's inside that box? Well, let's look at it. In Acts chapter 1, in verse uh, 1, it says, The first book, O Theophilus. Theophilus was the recipient of the book. Uh, Luke was a medical doctor. He's the only Gentile writer of the, of the Bible. And he wrote two of the books. He wrote the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And he wrote the book of Acts. So he writes to this guy, Theophilus, and he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. He didn't just record his teaching. He records his miracles. He records the, uh, the, the activity of Christ. Verse 2, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles um, whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering and with, by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking, get this, of the kingdom of God. Now, I'd love to have those podcasts of that 40 hours. You know, that would be be a good series, I think. Um, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized not many days from now, So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still looking for a political kingdom. And then he corrects them and he says, "Uh, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And then he gives this concentric circles in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. And we, we see this promise. The book of Acts ends in this snapshot with Paul imprisoned in a Roman jail cell in Romans chapter 20, I mean Acts chapter 28 and verse 30. And it says he lived, speaking of Paul, he lived there two, two whole years at his own expense. He was in house arrest at his own expense and he welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The book of Acts is bookended by Jesus before his ascension and promise of his return saying that the, he taught on the kingdom, the rule and reign of God, 
and it ends in the book of Acts with Paul teaching on the kingdom of God, rule and reign of God. All through, from Genesis all the way through, we see the kingdom of God is the theme of the Bible, God's rule, God's reign. And it's accompanied throughout the book of Acts. There are five things that we see in the life of Jesus, but we also see in the events of the book of Acts. And the, the uh, one that it ends with is growth, and pro- just this, this massive growth of the church. But that's preceded by four things. The proclamation of the kingdom. Every time you see this growth, there's a proclamation of the kingdom. And the basic message can be summarized in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And belief in him was not mental assent. The Amplified Bible says it this way, to believe in, trust in, rely on, and cling to. Believe in, rely on, trust in, and cling to Jesus. He is what's in the box. And we see here that the proclamation, when his death and the burial and resurrection were proclaimed, things began to happen in the book of Acts. Persecution resulted every time. Now, here's the good news. You don't have to seek persecution. You don't even have to pray for it. It it will come. It just comes quite naturally. Now, it may be as simple as your own ideas that beat you up. I'm no good. I can't do this. This isn't working. John Wimber, when he began praying, he saw... He began to read this book and saw that God healed people. He decided to start praying for people to be healed. He prayed for 1,000 people before anyone was healed. Okay? So the persecution in his own mind was this isn't working. And the enemy will use that. It can be as severe as death. And we see that throughout the New Testament as well. We also see a third thing. We see the power of God break through and heal and deliver and set people free. Uh, We experience the already of the kingdom where there are times where we pray and people are healed and delivered and set free. I think of one such time with, uh, or three actually, in my own family. One was Joan had placenta previa with one of our daughters. And we went to the elders of our church. They prayed over her, anointed her with oil, prayed for God's healing. And she was healed. Her placenta moved and she was able to give a natural birth. We were able to have seven kids because of that. Otherwise, she would have had a C-section and it would have limited her her births. The um, second thing we saw in our own family was John Michael. When John Michael was just a little kid, he had had surgery, had tubes put in his ears. And uh, the tubes came out. We had just switched insurance companies as as it naturally would work, speaking of persecution. And... uh, and so in the middle of that, we, uh, we went back, and he had to have a second surgery. And we didn't have money for a second surgery, and the insurance wasn't going to cover the second surgery. And we, we went before our small church that we were starting, and we laid hands on him. We prayed over him, and God healed him. We went for a pre-op visit, and the doctor said, I don't know what happened between last week and this week, but your son doesn't need surgery. Then we had Ian. Ian had a, he was born with a heart defect that was curable. It was correctable by surgery. But again, we didn't want to undergo surgery. He had this hole in his heart. And we prayed and we asked God, your kingdom come. And God healed him and his heart, the, the hole in his heart closed and he was healed. 
So we've seen the already of the kingdom. We've seen God break through in some great ways, and it's exciting. But we also, when we moved here 10 years ago, my mom, who, uh, who was in the early stages of dementia, we spent the next 10 years walking with her on a steady decline to death where God's kingdom didn't break through, and we didn't see an immediate healing. And God's very much present in the already and the not yet. And he gives grace whether we have to walk through it and put, as Bob Buford did, a son in a casket, or whether we're walking through and God comes through and heals and delivers. God's presence is there in both cases, in the already and the not yet. There will be a day where there'll be no more sickness, sadness, tears, where God comes through and we experience his presence fully. But we live in those in-between times. We live in the tension of the in-between I remember uh, experiencing some of the already where we see Jesus casting out demons. One of the ways, you know, I've seen manifestations in some locations of the world where, where it's very visible and very obvious it's demonic. But there have been other cases in America where it may not be quite as obvious that it's demonic. It can be in attitudes. In fact, Jesus, uh, Paul says that take captive every thought into obedience to Christ. We were teaching in Savannah, Georgia at a conference. And during the conference, we did this uh, forgiveness step. And we were going through forgiveness. And when I, after I did the teaching on forgiveness, I encouraged people to pair up. So we had women pair up and guys pair up. And they were just to go somewhere. It was an old, uh, this house, large house we were in. And it was uh, like a farmhouse. And so one of the couples... Uh, these two ladies, one was in her 30s, the other was in her 50s. They went and they sat down in the kitchen. And about two or three minutes later, the 30-year-old comes to me and she said, we're not getting anywhere with this. Uh, can you help us? And so I went in the kitchen and this woman was, first time I'd ever seen anyone really comatose. I mean, it was just like she was stone. There was no facial effect whatsoever. And she's just sitting there stone. And uh, so we we prayed, and I had the weirdest thought, and I've had some weird thoughts. Um, It was the weirdest thought to date that I I think I've had. We prayed, and I prayed this. I said, Holy Spirit, reveal what the blockage is. Simple prayer. Holy Spirit, reveal what the blockage is. As soon as I prayed that, here was the thought. This house reminds her of the home she grew up in. And when she was five years old, she was raped by her three brothers. And I thought, okay, I had too much pizza last night. Um, Or maybe it's the medication I'm on or something. Uh, That's a weird thought. And so I tried to suppress it, tried to get rid of it. And the thought just kept coming back. And so I thought, okay, I'm I'm just going to share it. It's either true or not true. If it's false, I won't be invited back to this church. (laughs) If it's true, uh, we'll see what happens. So I said, does this house, I started out real slow, you know. Does this house remind you of the home you grew up in? And she nods her head, yes. And I said, were you raped by your brothers, your three brothers, in a home like this? And she just began to burst into tears and weep and wail. And she says, and I will never forgive them. I will never forgive them. And so we waited a few moments. And I said, you know, the Lord would not reveal something so specific unless he wanted to set you free. And so she agreed. She agreed to allow the Lord into that place of her life 
which had been shut off for 45 years. And Satan's kingdom began to topple. The stronghold that he had in her life began to fall as the kingdom of God invaded that area. And she did forgive. The cool thing, that was cool. But the other cool thing is we did a conference here when we first moved to Myrtle Beach at the at Seacoast Vineyard on forgiveness and on freedom in Christ. And the cool thing was she came to pray with women of abuse to help them gain freedom in Christ. So we saw the already break in. Two years ago, she was put in a box, died of dementia, the not yet of the kingdom. Everyone who's healed will eventually die. Everyone who's delivered eventually will die. Every one of us in this room will eventually die. When you're put in the box, what's in the box? Is it going to be money? Is it going to be fame, accomplishment, ability? Or is Christ going to be central? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But that is totally dependent upon what's in your box. If self is in the box, eternal life isn't what awaits you. Eternal separation from God, death, hell is what awaits. But if Christ is in the center, nothing this life does can take that away. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.